And welcome to Shepherding Talk. This is Aaron Kempel. Great to have you with us. Today I'm going to share with you a sermon I preached recently on the why of church discipline. The why. From 1 Corinthians chapter 5. What we have to understand is, is that as a local congregation, we're here to help one another. We're here to help each other follow God. But we can't celebrate what God doesn't tolerate. A local church must be about truth. They must be about influence, and they must be about the salvation of souls, including mine, when I'm not living the way God wants me to live. So I hope this lesson will be encouraging and enlightening to you. What happens when churches celebrate what God does not tolerate? I believe that's a good question for us to consider this morning. Good morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Looking for the remote. Is there a, if, if not, then someone else can click when I say click. All right. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So I won't need it for a second anyways. Okay. Mine's back in the game here. First Corinthians chapter 5. What happens when churches celebrate what God doesn't tolerate? That's what we see in the text in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to look at the Holy Spirit through Paul addressing a congregation that instead of crying over sin was boasting over sin. Instead of dealing with sin, they were, in fact, in his words, arrogant about it. And so what we're going to do is, first of all, we're just going to let the Holy Spirit speak, and we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 5 as Paul addresses it, and then we'll get into and, and go back through the text and explain three things that we're going to learn today from this text. So good to have you here. If you have any questions, feel free to ask me afterwards. The outlines are available in the back. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 1, what happens when churches celebrate what God doesn't tolerate? It is actually reported <clears throat> that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven. This is a Passover reference. That you may be a new lump as you are already unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate this festival, not with the old leaven, which is the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and what? Truth. 
I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral people of this world or the greedy or the swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person. From among you. Okay, go ahead and click the, the next. Oh, yeah. So the first thing is truth. Bring that back. <laughs> Didn't see that. The first thing is truth. The why of church discipline. We're going to look at three things. Why church discipline is necessary. Why church discipline is important. What we learn from this text in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Number one is truth matters. There is such a thing as absolute truth. And I know that that is becoming increasingly unpopular, even in Christian circles. The statistics will show us that more and more people don't believe, even those who profess the name of Christ, that there is a standard of absolute truth. But that's not what we see in this text, is there? Evil has a definition. Evil has a meaning. Evil has something that we can put a book to and a verse to and say this is defined as evil by God. So if you'll click to the next slide. Truth matters. We cannot celebrate what God doesn't tolerate. Okay, I think that's easy to remember. We can't celebrate what God doesn't tolerate. We know, many of you who, who are aware of the culture, that next month, a lot of evil's gonna be celebrated as part of Pride Month. God says don't celebrate what I call a sin. Thank you very much. Remotes are wonderful. <laughs> Don't celebrate what God doesn't tolerate, okay? So Paul says, what does Paul say about this church? He says they're boasting. He says they're arrogant. He says instead of mourning over sin. Well, I tell you, we need to recapture that in our culture today. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. And he's not talking crying because your favorite team lost the game. I think specifically he's talking about a mourning over sin. He said, you should mourn about this, but instead you're boasting. And commentators will debate on to why they're boasting. I, I think it might come down to, and this is just my thought, it might just come down to is they think that God's grace is so amazing that, that it covers us and maybe we don't have to change that behavior. It could be that. Maybe they're afraid of the guy. Maybe he has a lot of money in the church or maybe he has a, lot, has a lot of influence. But it could be that they're just boasting in the grace of God and saying, hey, we can continue in sin that grace may abound. But he says, don't boast in this. This is something to be sad about. But I can tell you in our culture today, 
This is where we live in 2023, which doesn't seem to be much different than, 20, or than 2,000 years ago. Don't make me feel bad about my choices. Don't make me feel bad about my decisions. Don't tell me I'm wrong. You're intolerant. But I do notice that the most intolerant people in our culture are those who are saying such things. But what we have to see from here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is Paul says, don't celebrate what God doesn't tolerate. The church, not just the elders, and we have great elders here and I'm thankful to God for them. We have great shepherds here who, who oversee us. But this is a congregational thing. We have to stand united and speak with one voice from God's word about what it says. And we say, we collectively, united, stand and speak with one voice about sin and about truth and about following God. Amen? And so that's what we have to do as a united group. That's what he's trying to get them to see here. Paul, minces, he doesn't mince any words about this person. In chapter 3, or in verse 3 of chapter 5, he says, I've already pronounced my judgment. In a world that says, don't judge, Paul says, I've already called this. And if you read it, he's not being mean. We don't say this in a mean, hateful way. Paul is just calling it for what it is. He calls this person sexually immoral. He's not hating that person, but he's calling out the sin. We understand the difference. Verse 11, he says, they are guilty of sin. They've broken God's law. They're guilty. In verse 13, he says, purge the evil person from among you. If I choose to, to walk away from God, if I choose to walk a different direction and say, I'm going to do my own things my way, by definition, God says I'm evil. The Bible calls it that. I just saw the other remote. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> distraction. Don't celebrate what God doesn't tolerate, okay? Look, um, you can read this, this is on your notes, but you can just read through the book of 1 Corinthians and you can see how many times Paul is telling them to make judgments. I should be able to, based on my, the things around me, based on the word of God, come to a ability to make a clear decision about something. The Bible is training me to have discernment. And so we do judge on things, don't we? We declare righteous judgments on things. And so this congregation is purging the evil person among you. They are calling sin for what it is. And they had to assemble to do that. You imagine how uncomfortable that was for this brother. You imagine how it is uncomfortable for the rest of the group. Do you think that was something that they rejoiced in? I'm sure that made them sad and uncomfortable, but they came together as a group to say this behavior is against God and it's unacceptable and we will not tolerate it. And so truth matters. We don't celebrate what God doesn't tolerate. There we go. 
we roll on. Influence. Number one, we talked about truth. Truth matters. Don't celebrate what God doesn't tolerate. Secondly, we have to understand influence. And I want to leave this statement with you as we consider that point. What is tolerated in some of us will become true of all of us. I'm going to say that again. What is tolerated in some of us will become true of all of us. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody in that church is going to become sexually immoral. But if we as a congregation don't stand united saying we've got to follow God's word, that will infect the rest of us. And I will follow that and you will follow that. If we take a loose stand on the word of God, everyone in the group will eventually take a loose stand on the word of God. What is tolerated in some of us will eventually become true of all of us. Notice back in the text in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, your boasting, verse 6, is not good. Do you not know that what? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I mean, how many out there like bread? I love bread. Of course, I just like about everything. <laughs> but bread, you put a little yeast in it, a little leaven, and it just, it just expands to the whole lump of dough, right? And then you come back later, and that, and that whole lump, it just expanded because it has infected the whole lump of dough. And so what he's teaching the congregation here is, if you don't take care of this person's sinful behavior, it will spread to the rest of the group. That attitude, that reckless attitude toward the word of God, that reckless behavior will infect the rest of the group. And we have to stop that. We have to watch that influence among the group. And so he uses a Passover reference. The Jews, when celebrating the Passover feast, as part of that remembering coming out of Egyptian bondage, they would celebrate a feast of unleavened bread. God commanded them to do that. They would take all the yeast, all the leaven out of their house. They would eat none of that for a week or so. And part of that was remembering the rapid nature of their departure from Egypt. But another part of that was removing of sin's influence. We're, we're leaving Egypt behind us. We're not taking that with us. And notice how Paul uses that idea. Let us celebrate our relationship with Jesus, verse 8, not with the old leaven, which is what? The, mal the, the leaven of malice and evil, but the unleavened bread of sincerity of truth. We got to clean that stuff out of the house. We got to clean that stuff out of every individual. We got to clean that stuff out collectively. We as a group are concerned about the influence of sin in the group. It matters. What is tolerated in some of us will become true of all of us. Notice in this chapter how many times Paul uses the idea of among you. Among you, among you. This sin is being tolerated among you. This person has to be removed from among you. Just want to make a side point about that because there's an important point here that they, that they had to define who belonged and who didn't. There's a local church with an identifiable body of believers in Corinth that has assembled together in one place to worship, to take the Lord's Supper, to, to collect of their means. You can read that in this letter. But they also sometimes had to assemble, and we knew who belonged and who didn't, so that we could identify this person is not living in a way that's pleasing to God. So 
going along with this concept of influence, we have to worry about and concern ourselves with the influence among this congregation. But do we not also have to consider our influence in the community? Paul deals with that in this chapter, doesn't he? He says, you are accepting things in your group that the worldly people, they would never do. And the worldly people are looking at the Christians and saying, what in the world's wrong with you? This is clearly wrong. You're accepting something that we know is wrong. I believe some of that's happening today. I've talked to several people over the years. They're like, I don't want to become part of these churches because they're accepting things that I know are wrong. And they're, they're hiding it. They're accepting it. They're allowing it. They're tolerating it. I don't want to be part of that. And here's somebody that, that they don't live a Christian life, but they know that's wrong. And so even the world can see things clearly. Even the Gentiles sometimes have a better standard of right and wrong than the Christians do. And that's sad. And so what we see here in 1 Corinthians is Paul says, listen to them. They're calling it out for what it is. The people outside in the world are saying it. Think about the influence. If we don't stand strong for sin in Beaumont, who will? And I'm not saying that we don't do that. We as a congregation, I believe, are doing that. But I'm saying this as an admonition for every single person in this room. That we have to be united on this. What we say what we allow, what we tolerate will affect, become true of the rest of us. And the third point and the final point, we saw truth. We don't, we don't tolerate what God doesn't tolerate. We have to consider our influence, but then also we have to think about salvation. Come back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 with me. Notice the language Paul uses. I want to jump back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. In verse 4, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver what? Boy, doesn't that, what, what is that kind of language? You ever just read that? Those of you who've read the Bible for a long time, or even if this is the first time you've ever read this, deliver somebody over to Satan? Or what are we talking about here? Deliver somebody over to Satan for what? The destruction of the flesh, so that what? You see, he's telling us exactly why. We're delivering someone over to Satan so that his flesh will be destroyed, so that his spirit will be saved. That's why we're doing this. But what I would like to do is turn, uh, put your marker there and go with me to Romans chapter 1. What does it mean to hand somebody over to Satan? Well, we're not the only ones to hand people over. What we have to see from the scripture is that God hands people over. Romans chapter 1, there are three clear examples in this text of Romans 1 of where God says, if that's the way you want to walk, if that's the choice you want to make, if that's the direction you want to go, then I will hand you over to it. You see, God does that to us. Is not God respecting our free will? Those of you in our boundaries class, God is respecting my yard and there's his yard. If you want to go that way, that is your yard. That is your will. You can go that direction. Look at Romans 1. We see that they claimed in verse 22 to be wise, yet they became fools. They exchanged the glory of God for creatures. And notice verse 24. Therefore, God gave them 
up or over in the lust of their flesh to impurity to dishonor their bodies among themselves. You want to go that direction, God says, I will go, let you go that direction. And they exchanged God's truth for a lie. Verse 25, notice verse 26. For this reason, what did God do? God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women, were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men, receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And verse 28, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up, over, to a debased mind to do things which ought not to be done. Three times we see God in verse 24, verse 26, and verse 28. He says, I'm giving you up. If that's the way you want to go, if that's the path you want to leave, lead, then, then that's where I'm going to let you do that. And so what's happening with us as a congregation is this. We are publicly acknowledging to the group what has already happened between you and God. We are publicly acknowledging to the group what has already happened between you and God. Sometimes I heard people talking about people leaving the church. Well, they first left God. Sometimes people have left God and they're still sitting in the assembly. God says, you want to go that direction? I'll let you go. We are the body that follows the head. If you want to leave Christ, we are sad. We are hurt. This breaks our heart because it breaks our Father's heart. But if that's the direction you want to go, we will deliver you to your master. That is intended to hurt. We can't take away all pain because pain sometimes helps us to grow and to learn. And so that's what we see here in this text, okay? He says, we deliver them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Now, I want to make a couple notes here. One is we're not talking about somebody who's weak and struggling with something, and they're, they're trying to make their life right, but they just keep messing up, and like, I want help, I want help, help me, but they're struggling with some temptation. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14, which is on your notes, tells us that we need to uphold the weak, to, to warn the unruly, to comfort the faint-hearted, but to be patient with all. We're talking about somebody who is unruly, somebody who has decided to go another way. And we can't, we can't hold hands with you because you're walking that direction. 1 John 1 tells us that uh, in verse 7, uh, we are in the light as God is in the light, and then we have fellowship with one another. Because we are in the light together, we have fellowship collectively. But when you decide or I decide to go outside of the light, we no longer have fellowship with each other, do we? And we have to publicly acknowledge what's already happened between you and God. But that is to save, that is to teach, that is not to crush. We're taking away, hopefully, something that's valuable. If you were to come to me and say, Aaron, you can't keep doing this, or you can't be part of this group, that should hurt me. I should want this relationship that I have with you. It should be valuable to me. 1 Timothy chapter 1, turn there please. 1 Timothy chapter 1. 
very similar language. If we think about delivering someone over to Satan to destroy his flesh, we're not trying to crush somebody, we're trying to teach them. And that's what Paul says in 1 Timothy 1 and in verse 20. In the context, there are people who had made shipwreck of their faith. In verse 20, he says, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, notice, whom I have, what? Handed over to Satan so that they may never get right again, so that they may be crushed. No, so that they may learn not to blaspheme. In the same way that sometimes a parent will administer a spanking to a child, it's a temporary pain intended to destroy that will in a sense, not crush their spirit, but to turn them around and say, okay, I'm going to go a different direction. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to produce a soft heart, changed behavior, and renewed mindset. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We hand somebody to Satan so that he will turn back to God. If our goal is to just prove we're right, that just shows something about us. If our goal is to just drive somebody down in the dust and the ground and make them feel so horrible for their sin, that's, that's not what God does to you and me, thankfully. But what happens when that person is disciplined Fellowship has been withdrawn and they have learned the lesson. What is our response? And that ties into our final point about this idea of salvation. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, sorry, verse 5, 2 Corinthians 2 verse 5. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely to all of you. I think he's talking about the guy from 1 Corinthians 5. That's my conclusion. I could be wrong. But I think that's the case. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is what? Enough. It was enough. Okay? So that rather you should turn to what? What's the text say? Forgive him and comfort him. What's going to happen if we don't do that? We drive him into the ground. Sometimes parents have done this. You drive that child into the ground. They can't even crawl out from underneath the rock of their parents' condemnation. If a church does that to a child, or to a, to a, to a child of God, put it that way, what the text tells us, Paul tells us what's going to happen. He will be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. Why? We're trying to save him. For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you're obedient in everything. Anyone who you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his devices, his plans, his designs. We... Those of us who are wiser and older, who know the Bible, we know what the devil's doing. It shouldn't surprise us what he's trying to do. And so the reason of administering church discipline is to stand strong on truth, unitedly, as a congregation. To consider the influence of the group, both inwardly and to the community. And also to understand this is about saving souls. And so as we tie this into our yearly theme, we studied 
more than once, Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who you know, walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sitters, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. He meditates in it day and night. That's the blessed righteous person. But then you have in Psalm 1 someone who departs from that way. And there's an interesting phrase in Psalm 1 and verse 5. That person will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. I, don't, I hope that there's nobody here this morning that you want to be left walking a different direction than the people of God. And if you find yourself today walking in a different direction than God and his people, what will you do about that today? Because the heart of God and the heart of his people is come home. Come home. Repent. Make it clear, I've done wrong and I don't want to walk that way anymore and I need help. It's okay to ask that. If you have not even entered into the way, you have not yet been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, come home to Jesus. Be buried in baptism. Have your sins washed away. And join the congregation of the righteous because we are walking together to heaven. Think about these things as we stand and sing. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you have any questions, reach out to me by email. Aaron at shepherdingtalk.com, A-A-R-O-N at shepherdingtalk.com. Thanks and have a great day.